Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my favorite book of the Bible is Romans! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Jesse, and my favorite book of the Bible is Paul's letter to... The, the Romans. Romans! How did I know that? <laughs> uh, we're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. What are we talking about on this episode, Conrad? Well, today, Jesse, we're going over why does atheism fail? Yay! So maybe as a Christian, you found yourself in a position where a confident atheist calls into question your beliefs with logical sounding arguments. And this causes you to have your face shaken. So today we're going over the weaknesses of atheistic arguments in order to show the strength of arguments for the existence of God, which in turn will help us learn more about God and our own meaning. So our starting point is just in our everyday lives. So just imagine you're having one of those really bad days where everything in your life is horrible. And in that moment, we always ask ourselves, what's the point and why bother? And without realizing it, you've just asked the biggest question possible. What is the meaning of life? And all the questions that go along with it. What's my purpose? What's my value? Where do I find happiness? Is it through my marriage, career, kids, my success? Well, what is success? So every day, without even thinking about it, we're trying to find meaning in our lives. So here's the deal. Something is given meaning when we answer the question, why was that thing created? So for example, the reason a cell phone is made is to make calls. So the meaning of life for a cell phone is to make calls. That's its designed purpose. But if a rock were to just randomly, let's say, land on a plate and smash it into pieces, one of those shards would really have no meaning because the rock hit it by accident. So according to atheism, we are accidents. Atheists like to call us stardust because that sounds a lot nicer than calling us what we really are, accidents. Cosmic trash, cosmic rubble, cosmic debris. So since atheism is a belief that God doesn't exist, atheists themselves confirm that this also means we weren't created with intent or meaning, that there is no meaning of life. Atheist Richard Dawkins describes the universe with these properties, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So imagine trying to console someone depressed with low self-esteem, like your bully teenager, or someone going through a divorce, and telling them, well, according to atheism, you're meaningless to begin with, so your value isn't real to begin with, so if you decide your own value is low, then it's true for you, and who am I to argue? Right. So if Christianity is true, which it is, then you were created with intent, with meaning, purpose, and value. You were created to love God and others and to be loved by God and others. So that's actually what's at stake here, your meaning, your purpose, and your value. So to answer the question of the meaning of life, we have to answer not just why do I exist, but why does anything exist? And the biggest, most ultimate question that we can ask is, 
Why is there something rather than nothing? Now, here's the interesting thing about atheism as a worldview and why right off the bat you can discount it. It doesn't solve the foundational question, where does existence come from? If you can't answer that question, you can't then answer any questions about meaning. So whenever I read or listen to atheists try to explain the origin of the universe, they start off with the question, why is there something rather than nothing? But like a magician, they immediately switch the subject to something that they're an expert on. So instead of explaining where existence comes from, they completely switch topics and talk about something that already exists, like the first seconds of the Big Bang, but not what caused it. Or they speculate about the multiverse or quantum theory, but not what brought those things into being. But after they've proved they're smart in some other field, at the very, very end, they'll admit, well, we don't know where existence comes from. So they flat out admit that they don't know the source of existence or where the universe came from, but somehow they're confident enough to say that, well, God didn't do it because God doesn't exist. And here's the fatal flaw of atheism. They don't provide evidence for their claim, God doesn't exist. They merely say there is no evidence he does exist. There's a technical term for this type of logical error. It's called the appeal to ignorance, which ultimately says you can't prove your statement by saying there is no evidence against it because maybe the evidence exists and you're just ignorant of it. Right. And it even gets worse because atheists cannot even tell you what type of evidence that they would accept as proving God. So now atheists are forced to try a different approach. So since we can't even in theory disprove the existence of God, we'll lower our goal and at least disprove the Christian description of God and say that is false by trying to disprove the Bible through internal or external contradictions like with science, which in the mind of an atheist only disproves one of the many descriptions of God and not God entirely, and it still doesn't solve the question of existence. So they have to switch approaches yet again. We can also try to prove the very idea of God is a contradiction by making up a definition of God that's contradictory and not using the Christian definition of God, which is not contradictory. So, for example, saying it is a contradiction for a good God and suffering to coexist, even though the Bible clearly harmonizes those two things. So, to illustrate how atheism doesn't give a solution and how little weight their arguments actually carry, we pretend this is a courtroom drama where we're trying to solve the case of existence. But instead of the universe, let's use something normal, like a taco. I now call to order the case of who left this taco on the kitchen table. Counselor, floor is yours. Your Honor, there's a burning question we must all ask ourselves. Who left this taco on that kitchen table? I, Rascal Calhoun Esquire, intend to prove to this court that I do not know the answer to that question. And furthermore, I intend to prove to you that one particular person named Godfrey, who I don't believe exists, didn't leave that taco there. Wait, what? I'm sorry, Counselor. I must have misheard you. Instead of solving the case, you're just admitting you don't know the answer? That's right, Your Honor. But while I might not know who did it, I know who didn't do it. Most people out there are saying someone named Godfrey left that taco there. But I don't believe Godfrey did it because I can prove Godfrey doesn't exist. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to draw your attention to the evidence table and advise anyone within the jury with weak constitutions to avert their eyes as I pull away the curtain to reveal absolutely nothing. I'm sorry, Counselor. You see, Honor, I found no evidence of Godfrey during my investigation. And before you say that evidence could exist and my personal investigation was simply not good enough, I will say that I was able to search the entire universe and all planes of existence and even dimensions humans can't perceive. Well, I do declare, Counselor, that's one exhaustive investigation. (laughs) Your investigative abilities must be abilities beyond comprehension. And for argument's sake, exactly what type of evidence were you looking for? Well, I don't know, but I think I know where I see it. So you can't even tell me what type of evidence you would accept as evidence? Well, I can see my investigation and lack of evidence and complete lack of investigative methodology is confusing you. So I, Rascal Calhoun Esquire, intend to prove to you that Godfrey doesn't exist because he has an autobiography that has contradictions. So hold up, Counselor. Let me get this straight for just a second. You're saying that Godfrey has a book and you can prove the author doesn't exist if you can prove the book has contradictions. Yes, exactly. Well, hold on. It's still my turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if you're just reading the book wrong? So I'm assuming you've read this book? Well, it's a really complicated book, Yana, and it's really long, and it wasn't even written in English. So then you've taken literary courses on the different methodologies on its study, right? Well, not really. Well, then what have you done? Well, I've read lots and lots of blogs that talk about the book. Okay, Yana, I see you don't quite trust my extensive studying of the book. So now I'll switch gears and I will prove to this court that the very idea of Godfrey is a contradiction. Godfrey's book describes him one way that contains no contradictions, but I will ignore all that and make up my own description of Godfrey. Everyone says Godfrey is good, but would a good person leave tomatoes on a taco? I am a good person, and I wouldn't do things that way. I would not leave tomatoes on a taco, and therefore... Goodness and tomatoes are a contradiction. What I see on a taco is different than what I define as good. Therefore, Godfrey doesn't exist and couldn't have made the taco. So you're telling me because you would have made the taco differently, he doesn't exist. Exactly, Honor. So let's get this straight now. You've come to the court to convince these people that first, you don't know. Who left this taco here? Correct. And you're furthermore saying to this court that Godfrey didn't do it by not providing the evidence. Correct. And furthermore, you're saying you have no idea what you would even consider as evidence. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, Your Honor. And you're claiming his book has contradictions, but you haven't studied it. That's right. And lastly, you're claiming he doesn't exist because you claim to be the standard of goodness and would have done things differently. Do I have that correct, Counselor? Absolutely right, Your Honor. So you're telling me you came here 
to say you don't know why the taco exists in the kitchen or what its purpose is. So what do you know? Well, since I don't know why the taco was there, I was hoping to take the taco for myself. So, Counselor, you didn't come to this courtroom to actually prove anything for your case. You came to make up your own meaning for the taco. Case dismissed. Dun dun. (laughs) (laughs) So, when the atheist says there's no evidence for God, therefore he doesn't exist, then they're guilty of the appeal to ignorance error, which says you can't prove something by not providing evidence. So then they'll switch attacks and not try to disprove God entirely, but at least the Christian God by trying to disprove the Bible through internal or external contradictions. Which one still isn't disproving a God. Right. And two, none of their so-called contradictions are actually valid if you study proper interpretation of the Bible like at seminary. So, for example, like atheists will say, oh, well, the Bible says the Bible is false because it says that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Except, no, the Bible doesn't. The Bible obviously wasn't written in English. And the original Hebrew says creation happens in six yom. And the word yom is translated 67 different times in the Old Testament to the English word time. So the Bible says creation just happened in six unspecified time periods, six eras, and doesn't actually even date creation. Or something else they'll do is they like to point out passages where God seems to be limited or undergo change. And it's obvious they don't know what anthropomorphic language means, where God is explained in human terms, so finite beings like us can understand a tiny, tiny bit of a particular attribute of an infinite being. So since atheism can't disprove God by disproving the Bible because in their minds, they've only negated one view of God, not all of them, they'll switch tactics yet again and say, maybe we can disprove God philosophically and show the very idea of God is a contradiction, just like you can't have a four-sided triangle or a married bachelor. So what they'll do is commit what's called the straw man fallacy, arguing against something Christianity doesn't believe. Right. The number one philosophical argument against the existence of God is some variation of the moral problem. If God is all good and all powerful and suffering exists, then either God is not all good or not all powerful. And since he can't be both, therefore God doesn't exist. And this is such an obvious straw man argument, because instead of using the Christian definition of a good God, they replace our definition with their own made up definition of a good God. Their definition of God doesn't include justice or righteousness or holiness. Okay, so God created us with free will so that we could love. However, we chose to disobey God, which is non-love. And this disobedience of God is what evil is. It's what sin is. And a good judge must punish the crime. And this punishment came in the form of separation from perfection. Separation from a perfect relationship with God ourselves, each other, and nature. And that's actually what suffering is. So the atheist who uses the moral argument is actually not looking for a good God. They're looking for an unjust God, one that draws no distinction between love and non-love. And I would agree, that God could not exist. What does exist is a holy, righteous, just, and yes, good God. 
And in addition to that, the Bible also explains that God is merciful through the giving of his son, Jesus, who satisfies his justice and also gives us forgiveness when we, by faith, trust in the work that he's accomplished on our behalf. Another issue that atheists sometimes bring up, the God of the Bible cannot be real or exist because the God in the Old Testament commands Israel, his chosen people, to destroy other people. Right. So typically, we aren't allowed to kill on our own because as individuals, we do not possess the state's authority or God's authority to judge and punish. However, in these cases, God himself is the judge and carries out his just sentence through Israel. And that argument shouldn't even be able to get off the ground because atheism says there's no such thing as a universal higher morality. But to call God immoral, they have to admit to a higher morality, which can only exist if God exists. So they must first assume God in order to disprove him. Okay, so what are the consequences of atheism? So atheists will say that we live in a universe created without intent. They say that we are accidents, cosmic debris, and therefore they say that we have no meaning. So atheists will then say, since there is no meaning, then everyone can make their own meaning. However, it's so obviously self-contradictory. You can't have your own meaning if meaning doesn't exist in the first place. Just like how you can't own a unicorn if unicorns don't exist in the first place. So since meaning doesn't really exist, any meaning you give yourself, any purpose you might give yourself, or any value you think you have, or even any morality you think exists, it's all fake. It's all an illusion. We like to sit back and say, when we're thinking about it, well, you can create your own meaning. In fact, life or whatever you want to make of it is up to you. But the fact of the matter is, nobody wants to live in that world. Nobody right. can live in that world because that only lasts until you run into somebody else <laughs> who has a different meaning than the one you've established. Yeah, right. So just turn on the news to see how divided we are on morality, politics, religion, and everything. So if you say we can make up our own meaning and morality, but then you call someone else's view wrong, essentially what you're doing is replacing God as a standard of morality. If you disagree with my meaning, you're wrong because I get to set the standard of meaning and morality. And again, an atheist may decide to act in grace or kindness or empathy or compassion or humility, but their own worldview would not require them to behave that way. So atheism actually has no formal proofs that a god doesn't exist. But theists have multiple proofs. Because when you dig down to the very bottom, everything we experience is evidence of God because you can't get something from nothing. So there are only three possible answers you can give for the question of why is there something rather than nothing? And these answers are one, chance, two, self-creation, or three, self-existence. So one, chance. Chance is a mathematical probability and isn't even a cause, so the universe couldn't have been caused by chance. Or maybe it's number two, self-creation. Maybe the universe gave birth to itself. It popped into existence from nothing what we call spontaneous generation. But this is also illogical because nothing can cause itself. You can't give birth to yourself. The universe can't create itself. The multiverse can't create itself. And even God can't create himself. So the only possibility left is self-existence, meaning everything, including the universe, was created by something that was self-existent, something that was always there. 
So the bottom line is, if you have nothing, then nothing can happen to nothing. So you get nothing. Right. It's like saying zero plus zero equals zero. That's just basic mathematical logic that all science is actually based on. So since there is something, then there must have always been something else. So really, the real question is, why does that have to be God and not an eternal universe? And for one, the evidence doesn't lead us there. You know, you can ask, ask Einstein. So science leads us to a universe with a beginning, but so does philosophy. The universe can't be eternal due to the obvious law of causality, the law of cause and effect, where it basically says every effect needs a cause. And anything that changes, like the universe, is an effect. So now we know our first cause has to be both one, self-existent, and two, its nature must be unchanging. And whatever this thing is, we just happen to call this in God. But to sidestep a self-existent first cause with an unchanging nature, atheists always misquote the law. So instead of saying every effect needs a cause, they misquote it to say everything needs a cause. But when you quote it correctly, if God's nature doesn't change then he's not an effect, and therefore doesn't need a cause. Okay, to explain this, imagine every event is a domino that knocks over another domino. Well, there must have been a first domino to get everything going. So let's assume for a sec that it's Einstein's singularity, where space, time, matter, and energy were all compressed into a single point. But what created this first domino, and what flicked it to get it into action? This could only have been caused by a self-existent first cause whose own nature doesn't change when it causes other things to come into being, kind of like an infinite battery. And it's helpful for us to name something like this, so we call it God. So that was a cosmological proof of God's existence that looks at causality like a timeline going from left to right to get a first cause. But causality also happens up and down to get a kind of bottom cause. And understanding this kind of 3D view of causality leads us to the Aristotelian proof. So even if we had some hypothetical infinite series of dominoes that goes from left to right that never had a beginning, like an eternal or cyclical universe, the changing series itself still needs a cause to explain its existence from the bottom up. Like, why does this particular infinite series exist as opposed to some other particular infinite series? And furthermore, you still need a floor of unchanging existence for any particular infinite series to exist on and move on this very second and every other second. Okay, so now let's clarify a little bit more. So now think of these dominoes as 10-story buildings. And logically, the 10th story of a building can only exist if the 9th story exists, and the 9th story can only exist if the 8th story exists, and so on. But no building of any number of stories could exist in the first place if there isn't a stable ground at the very bottom to build any of these stories on. So here's the big point. The bottom ground is the cause of the existence of the stories above it at every second of that building's existence. So that domino building and all other domino buildings that are falling left to right, so to speak, gain their existence from this unmovable bottom foundational cause. 
Okay, so let's explain this with a real object. So now think of a potential 10th floor that we want to add as our taco that we just made. But that taco can only exist if it has actual molecules actually existing that second. So actual molecules prop up or actualize the existence of the taco. But wait, those molecules don't have to exist either. Those actual molecules can only exist if its atoms actually exist that very second. But wait, those actual atoms don't have to exist either. So you get the point. Just like the stories of the building, you must eventually hit something that is not only actually existing at that second, but always actually existing across all seconds. If we didn't have this thing that always actually exists every single second, nothing could exist. But when we say it always actually exists, we also mean it always actually exists in its current form and didn't change left to right through time, which really would just make it another giant domino, which would in turn mean it would need its own ground to stand on, and we still need an unchanging bottom ground that's basically an infinite battery of existence. So this unchanging, always existing thing is both the first cause and the bottom cause. And since it is the primary cause in every possible way, there was a reality where this always existent primary cause was the only thing in existence. So there was nothing beyond its existence. So it is equal to existence itself. This always existent thing is 100% pure existence. So what are the properties of something that is 100% pure existence? Its nature cannot undergo change, so it would be eternal and timeless. It wouldn't have any boundaries, so it would be incorporeal, without form. It would also have no lack of anything, meaning it would be perfect. And all power would come from this existence, so it's all-powerful. And it being all existence, there can only be one. And since there would be nothing to know beyond itself, it would be all-knowing. And guess what? This description of pure existence just so happens to match up exactly with how the Bible describes God. In fact, when in the Old Testament, Moses asks God, what, who should I say is sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. In other words, God says of himself, my name is I am. God is describing himself as pure existence. Right. So actually, everything you see is evidence for God. This is exactly why the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So now that we know all that, let's simplify it even more. You can just think of everything this way. Everything we experience, all of creation, is like a thought in God's mind. If God were to stop thinking of the universe, it would cease to exist. God not only thinks us into existence, or to use biblical language, he speaks us into existence from left to right through time, but he also sustains our existence from the bottom up as our foundation. So, the question is, what do we do now? 
And remember, what was at stake in all of this? The very meaning of life. So this all means that your faith should not be shaken by the atheist belief system that ultimately says, I don't know why I exist or what the point of life is. The bottom line is all people are on a search for truth. Even our atheist friends are trying, presumably, to uncover the truth. But the problem is, atheism isn't the truth. It doesn't speak about the truth of why we exist or what is the purpose and meaning of life. And so, therefore, can offer no hope because it does not address those things in a way that is truthful. And so, because we know that God exists, and more than the fact that God exists, that He loves us and has sent His Son Jesus to die for us, Therefore, we have hope. We have an explanation for everything around us, and we have a logical reason not only to believe in Him, but to know that we can trust Him and that He brings hope into our lives. Right. So, if you run into somebody who believes in atheism, always remember, we cannot argue the gospel into anybody. We cannot argue repentance. And there are plenty of people who admit God exists and just don't submit to Him. So, what you can do is two things. Show them love and show them hope. Let your life be evidence, the eyewitness testimony, that the meaning you find in your life from Christ is real, and therefore evidence that Christ is real. Let them see your repentance and humility. Let them see the love of Christ in all of your relationships, and let them see the hope of Christ overcome difficulties, suffering, and pain in your life. And by this, you'll be showing by example what the true purpose of life is, which is to love God, love others. That's it. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud (laughs) member of the Society of Reform Podcasters. And please check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you find the evidence of tacos. Until next time, love God, love others, that's That's it. it! Yeah!